Well, I'm excited to bring the next message in our series on eight secrets of a happy life, Rethink Happiness, the uh, eight Beatitudes of Jesus. And uh, if you've been with us, you know that Jesus had a lot to say about how to, how to be happy. People everywhere want to be happy. Jesus shows us how, and that's what we're looking at over these few weeks together. Hey, if you've missed any of the messages, you can go to the uh, website, you can go uh, uh, to the app, catch the podcast, and catch up. I really encourage you to do it. Uh, the Beat- There's nothing more important than the Beatitudes, really. Uh, it's the quintessential teachings of Jesus. If you were to come up to Jesus and say, hey, what's the most important teaching you ever have? He'd take us to the Sermon on the Mount, and he would take us to the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Say, so you get this right, you, you know what it's like to be members of the kingdom of heaven. So we're taking a look at that. Each week I have asked you to kind of fill in uh, the sentence. Happiness is dot, dot, dot. And today I want to tell you uh, kind of the opposite. Happy, happy, sometimes we can define what happiness is by defining what it isn't. Uh, a few, uh, well, about a week ago or so, uh, uh, Grandma Cisa and uh, our grandson Rowan, Mr. Rowan is up there in the balcony. Hi, Roro. Good to see you, buddy. Two and a half years old uh, in big church. Um, we went out on a walk with Rex the Great, the two and a half year old uh, golden retriever. And we were having a ball until Rex started digging in the ground and up come the bees. How many know what I'm talking about? Bees are everywhere. Bees are everywhere. Uh, Rowan is latched to me, so I'm in the middle of the bees. Uh, fortunately, Grandma Cisa and uh, Rowan were behind us a bit. But uh, all of a sudden, there's bees up Rex's nose. There's bees all over Rex. I yank him out of there. We get away. Uh, I'm knocking bees off of him. I'm getting stung. It kind of put a damper on the walk. How many know what I'm talking about? And so we made our way back home, and I checked the mailbox, and there was a letter to me from the Neptune Society wondering if I wanted to get cremated. (laughs) I wanted to call them and say, I just got stung by a bee. I don't want to be cremated. Well, anyway, happiness is not being stung by a bee or being cremated while you're alive, all right? Uh, But what is happiness? I I read some statistics here uh, again recently, the happiest kids in the world, do you know where they're from? Number five, America. Number four, Germany, that's where Rowan was born. Number three, Brazil. Number two, Spain. And number one, drum roll please, Mexico, Mexico. That's what the statistics showed. Very uh, interesting to see that. And the most important source of a kid's happiness, the report says, and this makes sense, close family and friends. Doesn't that make sense? Interesting, interesting. I like this Chinese proverb. It says, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody else. And it went on to say that if you want to be truly happy, you need to spend at least two hours every week serving other people. A hundred hours every year. I think that's the bare, bare minimum. Jesus said true happiness is an internal joy anchored in an eternal God. And he gives us eight beatitudes, eight secrets to a happy life. He says, accurately assess yourself, realize that you desperately need God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Admit your mistakes. Blessed are those who mourn because they understand the devastation of sin. Respect others. Blessed are the meek. They're humble and kind toward others. Do the right thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those are the people who are always seeking to make right decisions, right choices. Number five, forgive forgive freely. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who 
who are merciful to others, freely forgiving. And then number six today, question your own motives. Blessed are the pure in heart. Question your own motives. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we say the things we say? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who have an uncontaminated, uncompromised, and undivided heart. In their very core, they are authentic and pure before God. Why do we manipulate, lie, falsify the facts, exaggerate the truth, try to impress others? What is the motivation behind that kind of thing? You see, we need to hold ourselves accountable. The point is, we need to question our own motives so other people don't have to. We need to examine ourselves. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to call a foul on ourselves. We need to call ourselves out when we're out of line. We need to do that to ourselves. We don't need to expect other people to do it. We need to spend time before God and with God and say, God, search my heart and show me where I'm offline, off track, and derailed. Some practical questions to ask yourself. Would I do what I'm doing if others could see? Are there secret hidden sins that you don't want anybody to know about? Or, contrary to that, would I do what I'm doing if no one would ever see? Am I giving and serving so other people see me and applaud me and I get lots of, you know, pats on the back? What's my motivation? Do I live to honor God or get the applause of man? Am I out to serve myself or others in God? Is my greatest passion to be faithful to the Lord or not? Why do I do the things that I do? What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, in Bible language, and this is important, the center of the human spirit is the heart. From the heart springs emotions, thoughts, motivations, courage, and action. It starts right here. What you say comes from your heart. What you do comes from out of your heart. We know a lot about other people and their heart by what they say, what they don't say, what they do, what they don't do, etc. In fact, the Bible says, above all, guard your heart. It's so important because it's the wellspring of life. And Jesus said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. All these evils come from inside a man. And he lists a bunch of, of sins. The Greek word for pure is the word katharos. And it was used in, old, in New Testament times, in Jesus' day, for the cleaning of clothing, for the, uh, you know, separating the corn from the husk, uh, purif the purification of milk, the process and uh, you know, those days, and unmixed metal, pure metal. That was what that Greek word meant and how it was used in that particular day and age. And Jesus uses that when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are uncontaminated, uncompromised, unmixed. Jesus says, you need to get to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of your heart. You need to regularly examine your heart. Check your own motives. Don't expect others do it. You do it for yourself. Check your heart condition. Now, what are the expectations that God has for us? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, 48, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, being perfect is impossible, and being pure is unnatural. So where do we go with this? 
Well, the Bible teaches about purity and sanctification over and over and over again. And it basically says that we are positionally pure or positionally sanctified, holy, in Jesus Christ. So when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, God looks at you and he doesn't see you and your sin, me and my sins, but he sees the blood of Jesus that has been applied to our life because we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We are positionally pure in Christ. How many can say a big amen to that? We are pure in Christ. But the Bible also teaches that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're to grow. We're to become increasingly more sanctified. We're to progress in our purity. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And one day that purity will be perfected, will be in heaven, uh, will be glorified, will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. How many are looking forward to getting to heaven? When I was being stung by bees, I wanted to be in heaven right there. There are no bumblebees in heaven. How do you know that? Well, I don't. I just don't, just don't think they're going to be there. Um, listen to some of these verses. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. God wants us to be pure of heart. Psalm 51, 6, surely you desire truth in the inner parts, your inner core, your spiritual center, your heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Now, that's a great prayer for us to pray every day. Lord, may you be pleased with what's going on in my heart. See, far too few people ask those questions. God, help me get a clear read on what's going on in my heart. We're so enamored with the external. God judges the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let me see if I can illustrate this. I think of the tale of three kings in the Old Testament. You think of Saul, David, and Solomon. The first three kings. I mean, these were, you know, to, to, to Jewish people, these were the rock stars of that, of that day. I mean, this was the Michael Jordan, the LeBron James, and the Kevin Durant. I mean, these, they, they knew these three. The kings of the United Kingdom. You know, Judah and Israel were together under Saul, under David, under Solomon. But you know what? These three guys started strong, but then they faded wrong. Why? Because they did not examine their heart. Their heart was unchecked, contaminated and mingled and impure. You know, as you think of these three, and I was thinking about it as I was reading through a, a book that I want to recommend to you. It's entitled, The Drama of Scripture, Finding Our Place in Biblical History by Bartholomew and Goheen. It's a great introduction if you're kind of new to the Bible, but it's also a great review for those of us that have studied it most of our life. From Genesis through Revelation, kind of finding our way in the biblical narrative. And I remember stopping at the part about Saul and David and Solomon and just kind of thinking about that a little bit, and it came to my mind again here this week as I was preparing this message. They, they started so strong, but then they faded so wrong. I mean, Saul started strong. Samuel, the righteous judge and prophet, anoints Saul as king. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's an imposing figure, an incredible leader. He was devoted to his duties, built a great army, you know, vanquished the enemies, united the people of Israel, but he faded wrong. He disobeyed God, he declined into madness and defeat, 
and he eventually committed suicide. He was destroyed by his own jealousy. His heart was unchecked. He became, became contaminated and compromised. How about David? David started strong, a shepherd from Bethlehem, tribe of Judah. I mean, just all the right stuff. He rises from the ranks to kill Goliath. Man, what a huge story. King of Judah and then unites Israel as well. Writer of many of the beloved Psalms, shows incredible kindness and compassion, story after story during his life. But he faded wrong. He deliberately committed sins of adultery and murder that resulted in bloodshed, civil war, and deep personal pain and loss. He started strong, but he faded wrong. His heart was unchecked, mixed, contaminated, impure. Solomon started strong. He secures the throne over his brothers, receives unparalleled wisdom, wealth, and power from God, builds the first temple. He's the last king of the United uh, the unified Israel. At the height of Israel's power, Solomon is in charge. He spoke many Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastics, Song of Solomon. Just amazing. But oh, how he faded wrong. He falls into apostasy, married foreign women and worshiped foreign gods. 700 wives and 300 concubines, 1,000 in total. In the end, the wise king turned out not to be wise, but to be foolish. He started strong, but he faded wrong because he was unchecked and he fell into compromise. You see, a divided heart, a deceptive heart, a duplicitous heart produces mixed motives, conflicted allegiances, and compromised priorities. Let me say that again. A divided heart, a deceptive heart, a duplicitous heart produces mixed motives, conflicted allegiances, compromised priorities. Where do I get that? From Saul, David, and Solomon. They started so strong, but they faded so, so wrong. Jesus says, happy are you when your heart is pure, when your life is unmixed and your dedication uncompromised. So ask yourself today, what drives me? Who drives me? What's the most important passion in my life? What makes me tick? What's going on in the very core of who I am? If Jesus were to look inside of me, would he see a pure heart or a compromised heart, a mixed heart? The one thing we need to say about David is he rebounded. Saul and Solomon didn't. But David rebounded. At the end, as we read about in Psalm 51, he repented and he turned back to God. And, and I think it's good for us just to take a moment. You may be kind of in that situation. You say, you know, I've kind of walked away from God or I've kind of allowed a lot of compromise in my life. You can rebound. You can return. And I also think it's a powerful thing for all of us just to review on a regular basis. Look at a few of these principles from, from Psalm 51. You know, how to rebound and also how to pursue a pure heart. Repent and request God's mercy. What did David, David say? Have mercy on my, me, O God, according to unfailing love. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then, and then he uh, essentially murders her husband. I mean, how low can you go? But to his credit, he says, God, he throws himself at the feet of God, on the mercy of God, and says, please have mercy on me. 
The humility of that is so powerful. Acknowledge the destruction of disobedience. So many people like to whitewash sin and disobedience. Not David. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David confessed his sin against God. Ultimately, our sins are against God. For I know my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned. Affirm God's desire for faithfulness. God desired David be faithful. He desires you and I be faithful. You desire faithfulness even in the womb. Seek forgiveness and restoration. Cleanse me with hyssop, David prayed, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. I love the clarity of this next one. Pray for a pure heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God. When's the last time you prayed that prayer? Seriously. When is the last time you prayed that prayer? God, may my inner core be set apart for you. May the thoughts I think and the actions I take come from a heart that is centered deep in Christ. One more. Be honest with yourself and God. Lord, do not cast your presence me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And he goes on to talk about being restored. What are the motivations that drive you? I put together a few questions just to get us to think about this just a little bit more. What is the underlying reason for my actions? Now, this is helpful when you get more specific and you think of specific actions, but we don't quite have time for that right now. What is the underlying reason? All of a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Now, if you go to the app, if you go to the website, you'll see the sermon notes. All these questions are on there. Why? Because I hope some of you will, will take them and, and you know, put them on you know, your wall or put them on your phone or look at them often. And when you have time, filter your life through every single one of these questions. You see, that's the strength of this. It's not just hearing a brief 30-minute sermon and leave and forgetting everything that was said, but pondering, evaluating, reflecting, doing some internal work. God, I want to get things straight and right in here. I know you value a pure heart, and I want to make sure there's no guile or deceit inside of me. Am I fooling myself about my motives? Look at this verse, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Can we even trust our heart? I mean, left to our own devices, we're going to lean toward the carnal, the sinful, the negative, the critical. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to pull us to the pure, the godly, the positive, the loving. What does God, the ultimate discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart, see in me? When God looks at my heart, as I mentioned just a moment ago, what does he see? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing into the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We cannot fool God. We can fool everybody else, and we can even fool ourselves. But God is never fooled. And when is the last time we prayed, Lord, what's going on inside of me? Where am I off track? Where am I to get my heart right and my mind right and my spirit right? That is so important for me. That is so important for you. Are my motivations negative or positive, godly or ungodly? 
1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. And if we're loving God and loving other people, then we're, we're in the positive camp. If, if, if we're not, then, then we're not. And kind of along the same lines, are any of my motivations originating from my sinful flesh? Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, Romans 8.8. 8. Wow, pretty clear. Do I treasure what God treasures and do I value what God values? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. What's my true motivation? What do I treasure? What do I value? Are my motives selfish and ruining my prayers? Listen to this verse. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What are my inner motivations? Am I guarding my heart against wrong motivations and ambitions? Back to the verse I alluded to earlier. Above all, guard your heart for everything flows from it. So what are we talking about? We're talking about wanting to live our lives as an open book before God and say, God, purge out of me anything that is ungodly and spiritual, anything that's leading me and moving me in a wrong direction. Take it out, root it out, eliminate it from my life. I have no time or interest in that. I want to live my life to honor you in my relationships, in my actions, in my thought life, in my fantasy life, in my preparation for the future, in my activities of today. God, I want to honor you completely. If that's you, say a big amen to that. God, we want to honor you. But it starts with the heart, and I need to get to the heart of things. I want to close the message by giving you five things to think about. How do I question my own motives? I need to filter my, th- my life through these five things often. What does the Holy Spirit say? What does love require? What does Scripture command? What does prayer inspire? What does regular reflection and evaluation reveal? These five questions will serve you well when you go through the deep fog and the deep jungles of life and you are trying to figure out the next step forward. What does the Holy Spirit say? In Galatians 5, 16 through 25, it says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh is contrary to the spirit. Paul's basically saying, you need to live in step with the spirit who wants to lead you into goodness and righteousness, good thoughts, a pure heart. Because if you walk to gratify the flesh, it's going to give you an impure heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit say about my thought life? What does the Holy Spirit say about my heart? As I go to prayer, The spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of the risen king is at work in our life and will make clear to us if we but ask. What does love require? Look what it says in 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love God does not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So one of the questions we need to ask in every circumstance is what does love require of me? In a day and age of mudslinging and hatred and contempt, you and me 
as followers of Jesus Christ, must be different. Love must compel me to speak different on social media, speak different to people. God has not called me to conquer other people. He's called me in the Great Commission to build bridges and reach other people. So how are you going to do that? A lot of people today don't ask this question, what does love require? Not even kind of, not even close to being on their radar. It's I like what I think, I don't like what you think, therefore you're my enemy and I'm out to destroy you any way I can. Maybe that's where you are today and if that is where you are, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself and just ask the Lord if that's where he wants you to be. It's not where he wants me to be. And so I need to figure out what does love require and it's not always super, super simple but it's a very important question to ask. What does scripture command? One of my favorite scriptures, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, come near to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom, humble yourself, don't be narcissistic, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. What does prayer inspire? Oh, this is a prayer we need to pray every single day. Search me, O oh God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Search me. God, take the spotlight of heaven and shine it on my heart and show me guile, deceit, manipulation, hatred, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. God, show what's going on in this heart of mine and cleanse me from every sin, every sin every sin and set me free. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does regular reflection reveal? Lamentations 340, let us examine our ways and let us test them. Let us examine our ways. I've said this many times before and some of you maybe remember, I think the most underemphasized spiritual discipline, the one that nobody talks about, and it may be one of the most important, is a spiritual discipline of self-evaluation. Question your motives often so others don't have to. Question them before God and say, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin. God, I want to have a pure heart. I want to be right and righteous before you. I want to honor you. Lord, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for those listening online. I thank you for those in traditions and in our other venues. God, I just pray that, Lord, you'll help us all come to grips with what it means to have a pure heart. Lord, I believe that probably most everybody within the sound of my voice wants to have a pure heart. It's from there that the wellspring of life is ushered forth in how we think and speak and relate and behave and try to reach a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us get to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of our own heart. That we'll take time to do a heart exam with the help of the Holy Spirit and the presence of you, Lord. To be very truthful and honest with ourselves about those things that are in there that need to be repaired, spiritually repaired. 
If you're here today and you've not committed your life to Christ, may I encourage you to do that today. Just simply pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me my sins, I want to follow you. He'll come into your life. He'll give you a pure heart and give you the wherewithal to kind of step that out day by day. If you pray to commit your life to Jesus, please tell me about it. Fill out that connection card if you're here in the service or you can do it online. I want to be praying for you here this week and we want to send you some helpful information. For most of us who have already committed ourselves to Christ, this particular beatitude is a tremendous wake-up call just to remind us that we need to live circumspect before the Lord. We need to live open before the Lord. We need to have a humility of heart before the Lord and say, Lord, we know there are some things inside us that need to be adjusted, forgiven, overcame, so that we can be more like Jesus. Lord, we commit our lives to you. I know I speak on behalf of so many of my friends here today. We commit and recommit our lives to you. There's nothing we want more in this life than to honor Jesus Christ, glorify Jesus Christ, and be people with pure hearts. So Lord, I pray that you help us in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. Our prayer team's going to come forward. We would love to pray with you. If you prayed to commit your life to Jesus today, would you come and tell somebody about it? Uh, we're going to sing a closing song, and then we'll be dismissed. Maybe you have a special need, a physical need, a financial need. We'd love to pray with you about that too. God bless you. Let's sing together. <laughs>